and welcome to episode 32 of the Different Doctor Same Old Shit podcast. At least, I think it's episode 32. Doc, what with all of the flux, shenanigans, you know, maybe there's going to be the odd episode numbering snafu over the next couple of weeks. But we'll we'll soon settle down back into regular scheduled broadcasting. How are you, Doc? I'm all right. Um, so we're just passing comment. It's New Year's Day is a strange old day, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um mm-hmm. I mean, it's neither a special day nor a normal work day. And even though it is, in theory, a public holiday, it never quite feels like a public holiday. It's, 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 it's just a strange old bag of washing, really, isn't it? Mm, yeah. I did, I, 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 what have I done today, Doc? I, I, I had about a, a nice three-hour session on the PlayStation this morning, um, playing Gravity Rush, which is great fun. Um Took the dog out for a nice extended hour and a half or so walk, which he thoroughly enjoyed. So did I. Um, had a nice nap just to just to recharge, and then a, a, by then it was pretty much time for the, the, the tonight's episode, which is of course Eve of the Daleks, the festive special. I think they're calling it these days. I can't call it Christmas special, uh, so they've, they've opted for festive special. Um, should we dive straight in? Yeah. So, um, what's the format for this episode? Are we doing the usual intro gubbins, or are, 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 is it is it a flex style episode where we're, we're going to go straight into like five rounds rapid? Yeah, I, I, I think for any kind of new transmitted Doctor Who, we just we just dive straight in and 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 and, and, and spare dear listener all the pissing about we normally do. Jenkins. Shut for the wings there. Five rounds rapid. Welcome to part one of the show. Um, normally, as the doctors mentioned, um, we do we, we do a little bit of titting around just to hopefully, <laughs> well, certainly to entertain ourselves, but hopefully to entertain you guys too. But you know, uh, today's a special day. There's been a, a, another brand new episode of Doctor Who on TV, so I think me and the doctors want to dive straight in. Um, so five rounds rapid, really, but it's going to end up more like twenty rounds rapid, I imagine. Um, any first thoughts, Doc? Well, I don't know whether I should really open with this one. Um, no, I'll, I'll, I'm really in two minds. Yeah. But I'm going to open with this one instead. Um, no, I'm not. I'm going to open with my original choice. It was a sack of cake, wasn't it? <laughs> really? Go on, Doc. <laughs> well... I try hard not to be too reductivist and too simplistic, and I try hard to give things like a good chance and to see what parts of it I might be missing and to allow you to help me. But this was bollocks. <laughs> well, start to end bollocks, or yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. All the way um, <laughs> I mean, I suppose the question I'm going to start by asking you is. Can you tell me some things about it that you found to be redeeming features? Any? Sure. Um, as has become customary for like, New Who over the last uh, couple of months or so, I watched it with my housemates. Um, and <clears throat> before the episode started, you know, just as, as, as they were advertising upcoming shows, before the actual episode kicked off, I asked the question, you know, We've watched we've watched Flux together, and he didn't really like 
most of that, with the exception of the Angels' stories, they really, really enjoyed. Um, what are your feelings at this point, knowing a new episode of Doctor Who's about to start? What, you know, what are your feelings? What are your thoughts? What are, you, what are your um, emotions? And the response I got was... Um, I ain't bothered. Well, really, really low expectations and a like a general sense of pessimism. Um, so quite interesting. And, and I must be honest, you know, that my expectations were very low. Um, I knew nothing about it. I'd avoided all all forms of any possible spoil spoilification. I hadn't even watched the trailer for it. Um, and ultimately, I found it to be quite enjoyable, but deeply flawed. Um, so let's start with the positives, Doc. You said, you know, any redeeming features are quite yeah, like... Please help. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and help you out, Doc. I, I liked the time loop motif. I'm a bit of a sucker for a time loop. I do like it. I think it's a rock-solid sci-fi concept, you know, that's been... It's been played out, of course. Um, obviously, the thing that comes in, instantly to mind for me is the uh, Star Trek Next Generation episode, Cause and Effect. Um, that's the one that's where, where the cold open is the Enterprise in crisis and Jean-Luc Picard shouting, all hands, abandon ship, and then the Enterprise explodes and then we get the title sequence and then it resets. And during the course of the episode, it, it time loops maybe four times and each time... They remember little bits from the previous loop and, and figure out a way to get out of it. Sound familiar, Doc? Yeah, um, the use of the time loop. Um, so just reminding everyone that we got, intentionally or otherwise, on, we, I, I think we probably led ourselves up a blind alley because we wanted to be. Uh, we kept spotting season 16 references in yeah. Flux. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the plots of the Armageddon factor is the Doctor and Romana use the key to time to put the Marshall's ship into a time loop so that oh, it yeah. can't so that it can't destroy Zeos. Mm -hmm. And in a better episode, um, as as a cutesy nod to season 16, mm -hmm. what they do in this one um, is to do it the other way around. In a better episode, I would have been I, I would have had a good smile at my expense mm -hmm. about this. And it's like, well, um, you might have allowed yourself to get fooled into thinking we're dropping season six, 16 references all the way through Flux. Well, here's a real one, mm -hmm. except what we're doing this time. In the Armageddon fact, the time loop stretches yeah. um, as the Doctor's improvised sixth segment of the key to time um, degrades. Yeah. And so after however many iterations... Um, Eventually, the marshal will be within striking distance of his of, of, of his target time loop or no. Mm -hmm. um, in this one, of course, the time loop contracts. Um, and I, I thought that was quite a nice, quite a nice inversion of an idea that we all well understood from a source, which at least you and I got sucked into thinking was part of the previous six episodes. Well, I'm, I'm sure that those um, the, the things that we spotted were quite deliberate, Doc. And, and, and you know, the, the, the furthering of that in this episode just makes me absolutely convinced that he, he is sprinkling season 16 into this deliberately. Why? I can't tell you, but I'm sure it's happening on purpose. If you drop references that 
heavy-handedly. Um, you need to resolve it somehow, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, filmmakers, writers, musicians quote from sources, quote from influences, make reference to. I, I mean, in that's the, in practical terms, not philosophical terms. In practical terms, that's what postmodernism is. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of the redundancy of original thought when there's so much existing thought around that you can just make references to. Sure. So not philosophically, but in the practical application of postmodernism is precisely that. But sooner or later, you you have to come to a resolution. Mm-hmm. So if you're Rick Wakeman and you're quoting a bit of Bach in a keyboard solo, um, you have to do something very clever with the harmonics of the resolution to unite the piece that you're actually playing in with the piece that you're quoting from. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are, um, and I, I could go on and on about this, so I won't. Um, in the end, if you're Chris Chibnall and you're quoting season 16, um, then you, you you need that resolution. And it, it's another case of missed opportunities. Having missed the resolution, and I'm perfectly willing to own the fact that maybe we were completely up Maybe there never were season 16 references in the first place. Sure. If there weren't, it's a massive coincidence because there were a, 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 an absolute fuckload of them. Yeah, there were just a bunch, weren't there? Yeah. Um, I mean, in design, in plotting, um, in characters. Um, but to avoid, I suppose, the difference between postmodern referentialism and plagiarism um, is that if you're being postmodern, you own up to it mm-hmm. or you admit to it or you resolve it in some way. And what this silly series is, is doing, it's carry on making the references. And I, I mean, I, I did this when I was 14 or 15, and um, I probably learned everything I knew about postmodernism from Blackadder or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you get the basic idea, but you don't get what the point... So you, you write stuff and you drop constant left-field references to other cool stuff. Um, I, I remember, Doc, when, it, when I was about 14, handing in a piece of uh, creative writing to my English teacher um and you know the the, the feedback was well you know it, it, it's well written but you know d- desperately lacking in in originality you've got to come you've got to create your own story not just ape others because the story that i handed in featured um an alien where where, uh, where the jaws opened and another set of jaws kind of lashed out from inside and it also had acid yeah. for blood doc you know so i was just literally just ripping off the xenomorphs um but at that age i didn't understand what i was doing um you know it's it's only as we mature that we that we understand these things isn't it when you're very young um i think you can do a lot worse than copying i Mm -hmm. I mean there's there's a good reason that people who learn to play musical instruments properly the way that we didn't um start off by learning to play pieces by other people Mm -hmm. um and there's a good reason why um, people who are interested in art start off by copying famous paintings. Sure. You can learn a lot of stuff by doing that. Mm. Um, the sad fact is that never a lot of people, um, and I'm sure you're, you're a guitar player, I'm not, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, 
it seems to affect guitar players particularly badly that they never get beyond practicing other people's solos in their bedroom by themselves. Well, that's right. I mean, it's a known phenomenon, isn't it? Like the bedroom genius who can't write a riff for shit, you know? Well, and who never develops anything such such as interpersonal skills or stagecraft. Mm. Uh Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I mean, I I can even understand people who don't, I I can even understand people who don't want to play on stage. Mm. I can even understand people who just want a career as a studio music. But if you want a career as a studio musician, you've got to learn to, Doctor Who fans, by the way, this is going somewhere, I promise you. If you want a career as a studio musician, what you're going to do for a day job you are not going to get to play your favourite solo. You are get you, you are going to get hired and you are going to go into a recording studio with a bunch of musicians you've never met before. And the band leader will hand you, if you're lucky, some sheet music, mm-hmm. but much more likely um, a piece of music paper with some chords sketched on it. That's right. Yeah, a bit of tabulation, basically. Yeah. Um, and say, you know, improvise on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're quite and, right. Unless... Unless you can, unless you've learned to communicate with people and work together with people, um, then you're up shit creek. And I think the thing you've got to kind of try and bear in mind, Doc, with, with, with where where we are in Doctor Who right now, um, is I would say we are now nine years into a form of Doctor Who that is not required to offer resolution or explanation. Um, I, I would say that since Moffat. Um, became showrunner. The whole kind of premise of the show has been, let's come up with some cool ideas, some cool arc ideas, even like multi-episode ideas. Um, but we, but we but we won't bother to actually uh, find a, a resolution to these stories. We'll just brush them under the carpet, pretend they didn't exist, and move on to the next thing. Do you have a I have the sketchiest possible explanation for this. Mm. Um, I I first spotted it in the song Black Magic by Little Mix. Attribute it to is um, the f- uh, now. It sounds like I'm accusing people of trend chasing or glory hunting. I'm not. What I'm saying is that if you want to compete in business, if you want to have product that people wish to consume, this is something you simply must do nowadays, and you mustn't allow people's attention to waver too far. Sure. Um, in the song "Black Magic" by Little Mix, it gets the song gets bored with its own second verse. It has the first verse and the chorus, and halfway through the second verse, it go, um, it's literally like a petulant child going, bored now, <laughs> and going, I want some more stimulation. So they have the chorus back again. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first time 
likely it had been going on a lot longer than that, and I wasn't tuned in enough to notice. That was the first example I ever remember of something being written, and I can imagine it being run through the focus group or whatever, and people have the, you know, the joystick where they push it forward against a spring when it's holding their interest, and they let the spring relax and the joystick come backwards as their interest wanes. Oh, yes. Um, and the the producers in the um, in the mixing booth um, going right. People are getting bored with that song here. Yeah, this, this is how they generate the dreaded appreciation index, isn't it, Doc? There's a whole there's a whole bunch of metrics like that. Yeah. Um, that um, I mean, it's um, there'll be a better opportunity for me to talk about this coming up, but. Um, the use of the use of color in marketing is a fascinating one mm-hmm. um, because you have these people who lay claim to being creatives and these people consider themselves to be part of the creative industry yeah but if someone comes up with and most recently it, it's it's a particular color pink and someone came up with a particular color pink and their marketing campaigns began to do really well right and you will now receive almost no approval from marketing review boards unless you include this color pink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's this must be some new, strange, ooh, maybe even postmodern definition of the word creative mm. that I was previously unaware of that actually seems to mean the exact opposite of imagination or creativity or originality. But this is no new thing, though, is it? I seem to remember in the aftermath of uh, train spotting, you know, with that really kind of bold orange and white um, colour scheme, suddenly those colours were fucking everywhere. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, choose a big television. You're a quiet, sensitive type, a little bit crazy, a little bit bad. Choose washing machines, cars, compact displays, and dental insurance. You lied on your application. Only to get my foot in the door. What exactly attracts you to the leisure industry? In a work. Pleasure. Like, my pleasure in other people's pleasure. He's always been lacking in moral fibre. He knows a lot about Sean Connery. That's hardly a substitute. Do you see the beast? Have you got it in your sights? Clear enough, Mitch Moneypenny. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth. Ben's a psycho, man. He's a mate. So what can you do? What are you two talking about? Football! What are you talking about? Shopping! Um, yeah, and the funny thing for me is that and I assume I assume that the market or the, the, the ad agency who, who designed that poster mm. knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. But that's the colour and the typeface from the like old penguin paperbacks that your mom used to read from the fifties. Oh interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never made the connection, but I can but I can see it in my head. Um and I mean that's that's canny repurposing that a bunch of other stupid people, uh, or probably actually a bunch of quite smart people, um, knocked off. And I think that was, that's the, 
90s version of those stickers you get on books from Amazon where they go, if if you like so-and-so, you'll love this. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. So you use that typeface and that lettering. Did you like train spotting? Well, you'll love this. Mm, it, mm. Um, it, um, it's it's got it's it's got a cute skinny Scottish guy and it's got something about drugs in it. Yeah, it's made for you. This is yeah. It it, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, the, it, it, what's the name of that studio? Asylum, I think the studio, the, the, the film studio is called that. That does like real cheap knockoffs of blockbuster movies. <laughs> you know, yes. so you know, so you, you know, they'll they'll Transformers Four comes out, Rise of the Fallen, and they'll put out a film called called something like Transmorphers. Rise of the Dwarf. Wall of the Risen. Yeah, that's it, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I've, I've always had, like, a, a, a grudging respect for them. Um, back to positives, Doc. I mean, you, you, we talked about the time loop. Um, I did like the inversion of it. I like the fact that the loop was getting shorter and shorter each repetition because that added, you know, a, 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 if you were into the story, that added, like, a, a genuine sense of peril and raising of the stakes um so i thought that was pretty smart um what else did i like let's have a look on my little list here um i like the introduction of the dalek where you know kind of bumped into that nick character in the corridor and there was no you know no kind of grand speech from the dalek no unnecessary pontification he just killed him in cold blood um so i quite i, I like that doc you know that you know just cold-blooded brutality i appreciated that um am, am i am i mistaken or hmm. if this were german thrash if this were german heavy metal we're talking about have the daleks become the funny assholes huh. do do they have the senses of humor about yeah. themselves now did, did, did you pick up like comedy lines from the Daleks in this one? There's only one that irritated me. Uh, um, you... Oh, well, literally every line about the Daleks do not do this, the Daleks That's do it. not. And, uh, you know, what, what it reminded and there's so fucking many of them. And what it made me think of was everyone's favourite joke about the song Killing in the Name mm. uh, by Rage Against the Machine. For a little while, became referred to everywhere as um, "fuck you." I won't tidy my bedroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and it, it's it, it's it, it's like one step. It's one step away from the two Ronnies, isn't it? <laughs>
well, yeah, it's a bit kind of uh, catchphrase comedy, isn't it? I suppose. Um, well, you know, um, if it was the two Ronnies, the Daleks would be saying things like, um, "The Daleks do not buy British Leyland, and Daleks do not vote Labour." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the one that pissed me off was Daleks do not store stuff. I just thought oh, you that, that that just felt really try hard to me. That particular line. Well, and Daleks do not worry. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, where this all comes from is the one line in Genesis of the Daleks, um, which is, I, I don't know whether it's Robert or Terry um, who wrote this line, but it's a very nasty, mean-spirited reminder that the Daleks aren't robots. Mm-hmm. And the Dalek is basically having a good old gloating sneer at Davros, and it goes, pity that word is not registered in my vocabulary bank. Oh, that's right. That, that, that's right at the end, isn't it? I want to say it's a reference to the film White Heat with James Cagney. memory for names. Too good. How do you like that, boys? In it, um, mm-hmm. I think. And um, I think the line is something like, um, uh, you know, give you a chance, turn me loose. My mum never told me about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's a very, very nasty, mean-spirited line. Um, in a whole bunch of ways and I think um, like this script but yeah Daleks do not store stuff like no fuck off yeah yeah problem I agree Um, another positive for you Doc I thought the Daleks looked great I think the the modern design of the Dalek is excellent and I thought they were lit really really well throughout Doc so I, I thought you know the, the, the actual realization on screen, irrespective of what was going on around them, was, was top notch. Um, I do. Uh, I really, really do think the um, the suits look great nowadays. Yeah. Um, I have two questions more than um, criticisms. Really, what's on the little nameplate under the um, under the eye stick? I don't know. I've, I've, I've never even noticed it, Doc. Can you describe um, it to me? Um, there, there's a little white truncated triangle nameplate mm. um, on the dome under the dark, and it's it's where you'd expect the logo of a car to be. Mm. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I didn't know whether that was like some Dalek corporate branding. <laughs> don't don't um, know. Never even never even spotted it. Okay, um, and the other thing is why why do Daleks have miniguns nowadays? Mm. Well, it, it, it's a good question. It, it, didn't that start back with uh, Remembrance, that, that thing called the Abomination? Didn't that have some kind of like, either like a minigun or it, it um, no, some the, super powerful weapon? The special weapons Dalek basically has like, um, it, it's uh, it's an artillery Dalek. It has a yeah. great big gun on it. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
The purpose of having a so a minigun fires a typically seven point six two by fifty two millimeter rifle projectile. Um, for those listening to us on the left hand side of the Atlantic Ocean, that's a three hundred eight Winchester. Mm. Um, what it does is it fires lots of them. It has a rate of fire of between two and I think five thousand rounds per minute. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and turn you any mean to mincemeat in seconds, basically. Well, the, um, the spec was to replace an infantry platoon, mm. um, like have, have have one weapon that will replace the um, the, the firepower of um, a rifle infantry platoon. Sure. Um, that can be mounted on a tiny little helicopter mm. or on a jeep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 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 what that's for. Um, I mean, this this thing doesn't have a particularly high rate of fire. Um, I put it at about one hundred and twenty rounds per minute, mm. um, and um, apparently, its actual projectile is so feeble it can be deflected by um, a one sixteenth inch mild steel lift door. Well, the, the, one of my notes is a metal shutter is enough to keep the Daleks out for several minutes. Get fucked. I mean, we assume these are special forces Daleks of some description because they've been tasked with doing something the Daleks have been failing to do for 50 years, which is kill the Doctor. That's right. Um, so, so you the, imagine these are the elite we're saying, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. Well, you would think, mm-hmm. um, unless the Doctor has slid way, 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 way down the Daleks, and you know, if if there was a tiny hint, I would have loved it if there'd been a tiny hint about that. Ah, would, the, 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 I, so suddenly the Doctor is not as important to them anymore. Yeah, yeah, that, that's intriguing. Like, that is, Doc. That's a great concept. You know, uh, like fuck that we, we've we, we've we've got something really to worry about now. We've got bigger fish to fry these days. Mm-hmm. I've been watching some spaghetti westerns um, over the Christmas vacation as well. Yeah, and um, influenced by that, that there's there's a thought um, in spaghetti westerns: bounty hunters and outlaws and lawmen often stumble on each other by chance. Mm-hmm. Um, the setup for almost every spaghetti western is wrong place, wrong time. Mm. Um, and I didn't know whether these were. And once again, just like one line or one tiny inference could have expanded the script and made sense of a whole lot more. And but we're apparently led to believe that um, there's this once in a lifetime opportunity um, because of the Doctor's own stupid fault. By the way, the Doctor has caused a time loop. Um, the amount of fucking incompetence being displayed by the Doctor throughout this episode is absolutely unbelievable. Mm. But we'll come to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. They've got this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, and apparently Dalek High Command has dispatched this special squad to exterminate the Doctor. And, and I mean, it's... For, for the reasons we just described, it makes no sense. Um, one half-line or one tiny inference about... This was like a roving band of Daleks, or some some Dal- like some some Pandakar Daleks on routine patrol, mm-hmm. um, who've basically been. Um, God, what's the film with um, Ice Cube and Ice T in it? And it takes place during the LA riots, um, and there's like this. It's that there's all these different like gangs and groups not different ones just two or three different and there's some firemen and there's a gang of drug dealers mm-hmm. and there's some, and there's some street kids who all get to know about this huge stash of drugs and money right um 
that's in this warehouse, that's in this part of Los Angeles where there are no police and no gangbangers um, because everyone's like out of town having the LA riots. Sure. <laughs> um, and it's it's kind of proto, it, it's very proto, or might be slightly post Reservoir Dogs, but it, mm. it certainly isn't a knockoff of it. Mm. I don't um, know. It, I, I just don't know the film. Um, it's it's quite a good little film. Um, and what I really like about it is it isn't a heist. No one plans this stuff. Yeah. Um, they're, they're just all these, they're, these these three, I think, three different sets of gangs or groups of people who have known about this for some reason. Um, and they all converge on the spot. And there's all these possible different resolutions. And, I mean, you know, one of the resolutions is um, the firemen... Um, get to keep the money um the drugs gang get to have the drugs um and then the, there's there's another commodity involved as well and, and and the other group can have those sure so essentially the the human tragedy of the thing is all three groups could get what they wanted um you know there's there's these three groups and there's three that there's these three commodities mm-hmm. and each of the commodities is useless to two out of three of the groups mm-hmm. And if only they could work together just for about one hour, they could all become wealthier than their wildest dreams. Sure. But they can't. Mm. Isn't that, that's a bit like the prisoner's dilemma, isn't it? You know, that, that, that was used in that, in that quiz show uh, that Jasper Carrot did, Golden Balls. I think it was two contestants up against each other to win a certain amount of money, quite a large amount of money, actually, for kind of daytime TV. You know, you look at like 20 grand. Um, and right at the end of the game, <clears throat> they had to decide whether to steal or share the money with the contestants. Yeah. And if, if they both decided to share, then that's what happened. If one of them decided to steal and the other one to share, then the one that's, that said steal got the money. If they both yeah. said steal, none of them got the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quite smart. Yeah. Psychologically um, intriguing. Uh, there's, there's, there's lots of stuff like this. Um, yeah. look, up, um, look up true when you have a chance. Mm-hmm. So, which is a, a obviously another spaghetti western um, staple, that uh, the Mexican standoff of dealing oh, yes. with three people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, in any case, I really like the idea that there'd be that there would be this low-ranking. Um, I said it before. I say it again. I called them panda car Daleks, just like yeah. normal patrol Daleks who are on Earth, you know, just wandering around, seeing what's happening, make sure make, making sure there isn't any anti-Dalek activity. It would because um, that would have been so easy to do, wouldn't it, Doc? You, you know, yeah. you could have just had a line from the doctor saying, you know, something silly. Like, what? Why have they sent you? You're not even the elites. You're the grunts. Yes. You know, and it's done, isn't it? Yeah. Um, or 
um, if I'd have written, the, uh, you know, um, call yourselves Daleks. You're mm-hmm. um, you're the fat, wheezy, asthmatic Daleks who nobody mm-hmm. really wants on their team, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, just a throwaway line that, that solves the problem. Um, and then you know you've you've solved this problem of why the Daleks are so ineffective, mm-hmm. why there's so few of them. Um, I mean, if it's that important to them, why don't they call in a nuke from orbit? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Daleks can do that. Yeah. We'll drop, we'll drop a nuke from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Then <laughs> that film, Doc. Um, I actually have no idea. No, that's aliens. Doesn't matter. That's all right, Doc. All right. We've got seven canisters of CN20. So we roll them in there and nerve gas the whole fucking nest. That's worth a try, but we don't even know if it's going to affect them. Look, let's just bug out and call it even, okay? What are we talking about this for? I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Um, Let me tell you something else I liked. Um, Very, very brief thing. When one of the Daleks said, Daleks learn. I like that line. And I'm I'm sure you can imagine why. (laughs) <laughs> um, that's a Babylon 5 reference I'm it sure is, it is it is isn't it that's Kosh learn anything else I liked I quite liked Ashling B's character Sarah um, I mean she made some baffling decisions throughout um, does she end up not merely speaking to her mother at some mm. point during the episode but doesn't mm. she actually call her mammy when she comes on the phone that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why she doesn't fucking break out into river dance. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's um, surprising she didn't have eyebrows on her cheeks, I suppose. Yeah, and and, yeah. and, and, uh, and play a violin. Mm. Um, and, you know, when uh, when the Dalek starts uh, starts causing aggro, mm. um, why she doesn't go, uh, come here here and I'll drop one on ye. Mm. But, you know, Ashling B... I'm pretty familiar with her stuff. That is just how she talks, Doc. But I presume she didn't write those lines. No, she didn't write the lines. But what I'm saying is, coming out of her mouth, it did not seem preposterous because that is how, that is how she speaks. Sure. Yeah. Um, which makes it look like stone casting. Sure. Which, which, well, well, I mean, clearly, clearly it was. Um, I mean. <sighs> She was a relatively interesting character. Mm. Um, This leads into what's turning out to be, I think, my single biggest problem with the Jodie Whittaker, Bleak Stroke, Chris Chibnall era. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't stand to be in a room with any character who has appeared in Doctor Who recently. Right. Mm -hmm. They're ghastly characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mentioned this before, um, I mentioned this before in the episode where you you had to explain to me that um, it was supposed to be flirting. Mm. Even oh, yes. though, ah. Yeah, that's uh, right. That was between... Um, what's the fucking name, man? Um, um, I don't know, but um, just, just to remind people, someone triggers somebody else's PTSD for a laugh. It was Clara. It was Clara Oswald. And she was, she was you know, in quotes, flirting with uh, Danny Pink. That's it. Uh, that's kind of come to define the tone of, um, I can't even call them characters Mm. because these, these scripted entities have no character. Um, I mean, I quite, 
you know, near the end of, of, of our discussion of, um, uh, of Fux, um, you asked me, like, what I made of the, the, the characters of the companions. Mm-hmm. They, they, they don't have characters. These are not, these aren't characters. Um, I mentioned the two Ronnies a little while ago. Um, I've, I've watched some two Ronnies over Christmas. Sure. And the, and the characters in two Ronnies sketches within three minutes are more fleshed out and more understandable and then more fully realised human beings than any of the characters in like post-2018, 2017 Doctor Who are. Mm. What's your beef with Dan? I quite like Dan. But he hasn't got a character. Mm. He hasn't got a character. Mm. Um, I, I mean, he, he's got he's got three traits that define him. He's a scouser. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's, Dear listener, you, you can't see the deadpan look on the doc's face. It's brilliant. Go on, doc. He's a scouser, yeah. Um, he's unlucky in love. Mm. Um, and, I mean, for a bit at least, although this got dropped quickly, um, he's got um, a, a pitifully excessive, excessive work. He's got a pitiful, excessive working class pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, which is obviously an extremely cliched iteration of open brackets, one, close brackets. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, because, I mean, um, obviously, when lazy writers write anyone from Merseyside, they either have to be a dull-spending schlepper mm. or um, have a pitiful excess of working-class pride. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. are the two character traits they're allowed. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't just think it's, it's it's Merseyside. I think that's kind of the northwest in general, isn't it? You know, look at look, look at something like Shameless. But I mean, it's um, Carla Lane invented all of that, though, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I suppose you could say Boys from the Black stuff invented it. Sure. New drama this autumn on BBC Two includes Boys from the Black stuff, the former gang of tarmac layers now among the Liverpool unemployed. Hey. Now, what chances have you got of leaving school with any qualifications if you're never there in the first place? Qualifications? Well, what's wrong with qualifications? You need nuclear physics to be a bit money these days, Dad. I've got no money. Oh, well, I mean, that explains everything. Yeah, I'm having a hard time with the HP. But, um, that was, that was proper drama. And, um, I mean trying to compare something Chris Chibnall wrote to Boys from the Black Stuff is, mm. well, I, I, I'll um, laugh I almost bought one. <laughs> Back to the Ashling B character. And the way she was used, I did like, like the pre-title sequence where 
was it pre-title? Maybe, maybe, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was post-title title music. But anyway, um, her first encounter with the Dalek, and and then she's killed. I really did not expect that to happen. Because you know, because she is like the she is like the stunt casting in this episode. Yeah. So you don't expect that character to die. Of course, you know we we, we quickly realise what, what that's happened, and and she's back again on screen. But but I did think that was a really effective, surprising moment. Um, of course, then she goes on to like mysteriously fall in love with a man that could you know best be described as suspicious. Yeah, um, I mean, I he was the proxy Doctor Who fan character in this episode for me. Sure. Um, you know, eccentric, probably harmless, but don't be alone with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably a hoarder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, definitely some unresolved issues. Um, you would suspect bereavement, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, considering our other project, um, people who people whose response to bereavement um, being hoarding, um, I start thinking of Ed Gein. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't help uh, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but their relationship and the way that was engineered was very, very strange. I don't, I don't know many women whose gussets would be moistened at the prospect of, you know, starting a, a relationship with, with a hoarder, Doc. It just really seemed a really odd angle to take for me. I mean, the only here's something I've, I find deeply problematic about, and, and I, I feel like I've seen it in other episodes as well. Apropos of absolutely nothing, she suddenly announces that she's always wanted to travel, mm-hmm. and it's there's about four different levels of wrongness. Um, We've had a lot of characters who've announced that they've suddenly wanted to travel, but only after they've met the Doctor. And I'm I'm getting really, really uncomfortable with the Doctor seeming to be the only vehicle of personal liberation that anyone ever has. But it's not just personal liberation, is it? You know, the, the Doctor has become like the, the de facto saviour of everybody and everything at all times. I mean, on one, on a sort of... Superman-like level, saving the world, I can just about get my head around that's the Doctor's job. Yeah. But it seems like that nobody is capable of even any kind of person. That's why I really, that's why I absolutely adore the old Professor character um, in in Flux. Sure. Because I can't can't think of the last time we've seen a character who has been permitted enough agency to arrange the manner of their own demise. That was Jericho, wasn't it? You're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Because you were very sceptical when he first appeared. You thought you you thought that that, that you know Chris Chris Chibnall was up to something nefarious. If I seem to, if, if I recall correctly, um, his his first few scenes and his first few lines and his interactions with the girl from 1967. Mm. Um, I assumed he was being trotted out as a piece of virtue signalling mm-hmm. um, so that a contemptible white middle-aged man um, could be um, shown up to be a cartoon idea of a conservative, which no actual conservatives are actually like, by the way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then mocked, humiliated and killed. Yeah. Didn't happen though, did it, Doc? We were wrong. No, it didn't. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, I... 
I was contrite then. Um, I'm equally as contrite now, and I don't mind apologising and sort of saying I was wrong for that assumption as many times as it takes because I was badly wrong. How did the Ashling B character, Sarah, how did she figure it out like instantly what was happening? I thought that was very mysterious. It was know. in the script. But yeah, I mean, I mean, besides that, Doc, um, any, any thoughts there? Or, or that's the answer, isn't it, actually? Uh, I mean, unless we're going into something so disgustingly racist about Irish people literally having powers of precognition because they're mm. all gypsies. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, um, running through corridors. Plenty of that in this episode, Doc. And, and, and that's a grand tradition, isn't it? Uh, the, the running through corridors didn't bother me then, doesn't bother me now. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what I what I got really pissed off about, okay, the psychic paper and the sonic screwdriver, I have gotten the impression were things explicitly introduced to eliminate running up and down corridors and the doctor getting suspected of something or being caught in a place he's not supposed to be and being locked up. Sure. Um the doctor has now got a fucking psychic warrant card. Mm. Mm-hmm. The fuck? Yeah. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Um, the doctor now has a stage prop that enables her to be any authority figure she wants to be. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's 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 not just faking up. It, it, it's not just making the security. It's not just making the dumb security guard see a backstage pass so she can go and meet Led Zeppelin. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's logical, isn't it? If it's psychic paper, it can be it can be anything she wants it to be, can't it? But I, uh, I understand the moral problem that you're having with this doc, but 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 it's not illogical, is it? My assumption is what this. My assumption is the psychic paper is supposed to be quite a good fraudulent copy of mm. almost anything mm-hmm. that's it. So um, if you go back to the day of the jackal. the sixth attempt on the life of President de Gaulle. In desperation, the OAS terrorists hired a professional killer. His code name, the Jackal. This is a once-in-a-lifetime job. Whoever does it can never work again. How much do you want? Half a million. Yeah. Um, when, when the Jackal wants a fake French driving license, um, he has to pay someone to get one for him. And the guy explains, it's not very difficult. What he'll do is steal one um, and graft a photograph onto it. Um... And it's not a particularly difficult process. It will just take a week. And, um, you know, and he, he makes a point of saying, like, don't ever let a policeman, ha- like, you can let a country bumpkin policeman look at it, but mm. don't ever show it to a border guard or anyone who's ever had any real training because it will not stand up. Sure. Okay. And mm-hmm. That's my impression of what the psychic paper does. Mm. It's a pretty good fraudulent copy. So because it's psychic, the doctor has to have an image in the doctor's mind of the thing they want to present. Mm-hmm. They have to have seen the original, yeah, um, or be able to imagine what the original one might look like. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's explicitly not magical paper. It can't become a flawless, impossible to detect police person's warrant card or 
Um, and, and I mean, I, I, I can see this coming, you know, like documents to prove that you're the president of a galactic foundation or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't think off the top of my head of the most um, kind of highly elevated position the doctor has used that paper for. Um, so no, that, that, that I can't help you there. But 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 no, I don't take, no. take your point, Doc. Go on. You're talking about a character who has recently referred to themselves as the final authority. Yeah. There is no higher. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's definitely a problem. Um, even if you even if you remove kind of the, the the moral aspect to it, just the fact that it can just be used as this kind of Deus Ex Machina at any point. Well, the, the sonic screwdriver and the paper. Um, you know, it's just like a, it's a get out of jail free card for the writers, isn't it, Doc? Well, I, I think it's meant to be. I think it's explicitly meant to be um, a get out of. It's to stop lazy writers who do want to do nothing but ape the 60s mm. and the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, making a whole entire subplot by um, having the doctor locked up because he's in an authorised area. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason they did that in the 60s, where the means of production meant that, the, that things had to proceed very, very slowly. That's right. Um, there's no good excuse for it now that we have adequate editing. So I, um, if this is the reason they did it, I, I think it was an incredibly smart move. What we'll do is we'll give the doctor a prop that's, that prevents the writers from ever having to do that. Yeah. Um, but, but it doesn't... It's It's not... It's not the one ring, um, you know, it it doesn't, like, bestow power on the owner, as far as I can see. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to repeat this, because I, I, I need to know whether this is your conception of it or not. My imagination is that it's an instant version of the kind of really good, uh, the kind of really good forgery you could make yourself in your own workshop. The same thing. Um, the sonic screwdriver yeah. is a very is a very very portable version of, we'll say, like a mechanics tool. Um, you know those tool chests on wheels that highly skilled mechanics have, sure. and it's got all their tools in it, mm-hmm. like a, a spanner of every size and a screwdriver of every size and a bunch of spares, um, right the way down to like a big socket wrench. Mm-hmm. The sonic screwdriver is a highly portable version of one of those. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the, that's all, that's all I think of those things as being. I think that the psychic paper is, you know, for me, an exact replica of whatever the doctor wants it to be. Um, so, I, 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 you know, I've never gleaned from anything that's ever been said in the show that it's kind of a dubious copy. I think it is precisely the document that's required for that moment in time to get to, you know, to get through the door, to get past the guard, whatever it happens to be. Um, for the sonic screwdriver... I think it is it is imbued with powers de- depend dependent upon the needs of the script. Um, <laughs> though, you know those those powers are indeterminate, uh, are ever expanding, um, and uh, and apparently limitless. Um, you know it, it, it's not, it's. It, it, it's like the uh, like the medical tricorder in Star Trek, in a way, isn't it? You know, um, you know that that gets to be able to read whatever it happens to be that Beverly Crusher needs it to read in that particular week's episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a similar kind of for, for me. You know, it's a, it's a similar a similar concept. While we're on the subject of the the gadgets and the tech, that yeah. the Doctor has. 
Um, the idea of the Doctor having to be somewhere quiet while the TARDIS resets itself mm. is not in itself a terrible idea. Mm. Um, it's doing something that goes right back to the beginning of the series, and which I wholeheartedly approve of, which is to separate the TARDIS crew from the TARDIS effectively for the duration of the story. Mm-hmm. So either a building collapses on it, or it gets captured by it, it, it gets taken away by um, Genghis Khan security guards, or something happens to the TARDIS, and so until the immediate crisis is resolved, yeah, the people can't just get back in the TARDIS and fuck off. And mm-hmm. um, nowadays, that's not unusual because the Doctor is now such a self-obsessed messianic figure. Um, there's no way the Doctor would clear off until the Doctor would have the chance to increase her personal glory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what it reminds me most of, um, there are two sort of historical artefacts, and the one obviously draws from the other. Um, the first one is a... Um, it's a <clears throat> relatively well-known film, not a massively famous film, um, and it's about an aeroplane that crashes in the Arabian desert, and the survivors have to figure out a way of making a vehicle from the bits of the aeroplane. Yeah. That's, that's a massive influence on an episode they, um, they did at least once in Airwolf. Um, and Sant and String um, have to find a way, uh, like somewhere quiet and out of the way where they can put it down um, while the computer systems regenerate themselves and they do the two or three days' worth of work on the engines that they need to do to make it fly again. Sure. I Um, I have to tell you, Doc, I'm massively impressed that you remember the character names from Airwolf. That's incredible. (laughs) Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> that really is astonishing, Doc. <laughs> um, I, um, I've never claimed that I have useless skills. I have skills. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, Sorry, Doc, I interrupted. Now, in both, in particularly in the latter one, there's a great deal of attention paid to you know we can't just put this thing down anywhere. There'll be people looking for it. Um, you put down in the middle of a forest and the tail rotor hits a tree, that'll end your journey real fast. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, it's always a big plot point that they've got to find um, a safe location and a concealable location and a location that offers some shelter um, and like all of the stuff. For something that's obviously in that tradition, the Doctor displays an absolutely st- staggering level of irresponsibility and frankly fucking incompetence Mm. Um, 
she lands the TARDIS somewhere um, and without apparently even checking on the scanner. Yes, I, I noted that, Doc, as well. Without apparently doing an environment check. Um, I mean, what I would have done if I'd have wanted to go all postmodern, um, when the when the TARDIS crew leave the console room, I'd have had a slow tracking shot onto a big clunky monitor marked radiation, mm. and I'd have had the needle moved up, uh, move up into the red zone. <laughs> mm. But but that's not that is not unique to modern Who. I'm sure this happens in classic Who. I'm sure there's a, there's there's a Tom Baker story with Sarah Jane where she's expecting to be going to the beach and the doors open and it's, and it's just horrible outside and, and there's no beach to be seen. So, what, so it's not until the TARDIS doors open that they realise, again, indicating that they did, just didn't look at the fucking monitor. Why not? You're, think, you're thinking of the purposefully comedic scene, like the purposeful comedy um, at the end of the otherwise extremely grim and harrowing scenes of Doom. Right, okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Um, Sarah's got her bikini and is holding her beach ball. Mm, mm -hmm. um, and they step outside of the TARDIS and they're, and, and, and they're on a nice planet. <laughs> That's um, it, yeah. But they can just go back in the TARDIS and go, mm. don't, don't worry, it's all going to be all right. Sure. Um, it's a very needed moment um, at the end of a really fucking horrible and grim and bleak story. Mm, mm. Um, and I think it's absolutely... Unlike modern Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who in the hands of a producer who realises that from time to time it needs to stick a pin in its own self-importance and pomposity. What I'm saying is it, there is precedent for the Doctor being thick and not looking at the fucking monitor before you step out the TARDIS doors. But I can't think of another occasion where the Doctor has done it after, specifically after precipitating an action that's going to make the TARDIS inoperable for several yeah. days. Oh, yeah, good point, Doc. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you're throwing that ca that caveat grenade in there, Doc, and, and I, have to, I have to concede. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, my apologies for throwing that important plot point yeah. grenade. you're right. Yeah, I'm with you, Doc. Um, yeah. I, I mean, and for the Doctor to then, in canon time, 35 minutes later, um make a sanctimonious speech about responsibility. Well, I mean, I was going to bring to your attention the fact that we had another rousing speech, Doc. Um, I mean, I didn't think it was, it was as terrible as previous ones, but still, I mean, it, I mean, it just grates, doesn't it? Just grates every, every time it fucking happens. Um, I would... The only way in which this could have been acceptable would have been if there'd been like a, a Terry Gilliam cut out an animated fist and finger come into the corner of the screen and point at the doctor and like jab backwards and forwards. And then in brightly colored Wells Fargo typeface at the bottom, uh, flashed on and off, show, don't tell. Sure. Absolutely correct. Yes. I mean, that, that, um, so, somebody really needs to uh, just, we, we'll just make a recording of that phrase looped for about five hours and then wait for Chris Chibnall to go to sleep. Sneak into his room and just play it quietly in the background and see if it fucking sinks in. I need to point out, for future reference, um, the Doctor has this rousing, sanctimonious speech about um, the necessity of being friends and working together and mm. understanding other people's failings and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was expecting Battle Cat to appear at any second, Doc, and for the fucking He-Man music to kick in. 
And the masters of the universe. I am Adam, Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull! became the mighty battle cat and I became He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe. Only three others share this secret. Our friends, the Sorceress, Man-at-Arms, and Orko. Together we defend Castle Grayskull from the evil forces of Skeletor. Um... The thing is, in an episode of Masters of the Universe, or even Mr. T, <laughs> the content of the episode might have actually had something that backed up the moral mm. that Lion-O or Man-at-Arms was explaining to us at the end. Sure. Um, you know, the, 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 there might have been something in the episode that set out the moral dilemma mm. um, that our sort of our, our, our Aristotelian narrator was explaining mm. to us at the end you, 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 what, you, you, what this episode what this episode of doctor who did yeah. was chuck a bunch of fucking stuff on screen that completely contradicted the moral that the doctor was explaining to yeah. us during that no you're right we had, we had a bunch of people being fucking horrible to each other uh-huh. um doing nothing but making recriminations for each other's failure mm. with the exception um, of dan though dan and, and this is why i asked you earlier what's your beef with dan because Dan did, Dan wasn't playing that game, man. He was only interested in in looking out for Yaz. That's what I mean. He's not he's not a character. Mm. Uh, he's um he's got verbs, but he's got no nouns. Sure. <laughs> he, he he does this and he does this and he but try, you know you can tell me what he does, but now please try to tell me what he is. What he is? Yeah, sure. Um, but I mean you can't have a character who is defined by nothing but pathos. Sure. I did. I did. I did, I did. My, my liking of this character has surprised the hell out of me because I, I'm not a fan at all of John Bishop's comedy. Um, mm. I think I think it's obvious, kind of lowest common denominator crap, um, to be honest. Um, I think Steve, Stuart Lee once, once described, I think it was him and McIntyre, he described their comedy as um, the comedy of audiences allowing themselves to be fed the warm diarrhoea of the comedian on stage. Um, wow. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I don't think he's far off the mark, to be honest. We've got to, we've got to touch on it, Doc. What, what, what do you make of this bollocks about Yaz being in love with the Doctor and the Doctor kind of seemingly developing feelings for Yaz? Christ almighty. Well, let's, let's take the thing that's closest to the theme we're on already. I don't understand it and I can't get behind it because these people have no characters. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yaz's character is she says obnoxious things to everyone she meets mm-hmm. all the time. And, and, and that's her character. Mm. Um, she, she's just a shitty individual who says obnoxious things to people who don't deserve it all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... 
I don't understand why anyone would have a crush on Yaz. Mm. And I don't understand why the Doctor would have a crush on it. And I mean, what? why the fuck are we using pre-adolescent words like crush mm-hmm. to describe a relationship between a mature woman and a very, very old woman? Sure. Why, uh-huh. why, yes. why, why the fuck are we doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, if someone were doing a straight drama about a lesbian relationship between a woman in her 20s and a woman in her, like, how old do human beings live? Mm-hmm. And a woman in her eighties. Would a serious dramatist think about using the word "crush" or "feelings" or "she likes you"? Mm-hmm. Fuck off. Um, I, I mean, if you're going to get into this allegedly mature content, then please start to use the vocabulary of mature people. Yeah, but it, but but you know the 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 the, the, the juvenilization of the show under Chibnall is has been astonishing and and that's just emblematic of it isn't it Doc? it's peculiar isn't it that it's things such as doctor who the more mature they attempt to get the more juvenile they end up Mm. um Mm. and that that's that's not to do with attempts at romantic subplots um i mean I, i i didn't get the point of the romantic subplot in um uh in fucks either uh huh yeah. Um, you know, there were these two characters who apparently loved each other and were apparently searching for each other. Bell and Vinda, you're talking about. Oh, what the fuck ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Go on, Doc. <laughs> uh, and, I, I, like, I just like to trigger Doc's annoyance from time to time, dear listener. Yeah. Um, them. Um, and then, like, what happened when they finally found... Uh, uh, um, they had a baby, didn't they, Doc? They had, they had a little... Did they have a, they have a little ickle, ickle baby? Or bought a dog. Right. Like, got, got a rescue dog, I expect. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, um, were probably, like, last seen holding hands and smiling to go into their appointment with the mortgage consultant. <laughs> Very good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are, are they... Um, are they more of a Citroen couple or an Audi couple? Do you think? I'd, 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 yeah, I'd, I'd go. Uh, I'd go Citroen. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. they go French. The blander, the better. Sure. Doctor Who can't do love stories, can it? Well, I don't think it ever tried, Doc, until um, you know, until the reinvention in two thousand and five. And I don't think it. I don't think it needed it. I don't think it missed it. I don't think it was required. I don't think it was wanted. Um, I mean, the, here are some of the attempts I can think of. The ending of um, The Dalek Invasion of Earth, mm-hmm. which is so very, very widely considered by many people, to be, including me, to be a terrible misstep. Sure. Um, and seemed to be evidence of the fact that no one really had the slightest idea what to do with the Susan character. Mm. Um, and it oh. almost... Sorry, Doctor. Um, Sorry. Oh, um, it's it's almost like um, I I think it's probably David Lodge. Um, I read a um, a glowing admirational critique of Jane Austen, um, and I'm pretty sure it was David Lodge. And he says something about um, you know it, it, it's um, it's always possible to uh, to figure out early on which characters the writer doesn't much care for because they're the ones who uh, who. Uh, um, who are being set up to be unceremoniously married off. Mm. <laughs> Another example, I suppose, would be uh, Perry, 
And, but uh, and we'll get round to that in due course. Yeah. Um, Perry is turning into a, a far more interesting and, and, and far more complex character than I, I, I ever thought I'd sort of mine out of her. Mm. Um, I'm not convinced that... I think in the context of the story, isn't that supposed to be the Valiard messing with the Doctor's memories or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know, it, it may be that, that it didn't actually happen. Turlow, yeah. perhaps, you know, the, the bit of homoeroticism going on with old uh, Peter Davison. Um, well, that's just fucking... Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's um, there's plenty of sexual innuendo all the way through. I, I mean, it, mm. um, uh, if you can watch the Stones of Blood from beginning to end, and uh, like, don't play, don't play the lesbian innuendo drinking game, mm, um, sure. unless you're very, very, very in practice. Otherwise, you won't even make it to the end. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but, 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 you know, the, the, as you say, the, the, it's subtle, it's innuendo. Um, maybe not so subtle, but, but it's certainly innuendo, uh, mm. double entendre. But but here, you know, we, we've got Doctor direct... Who. Doctor Who has always been capable of dealing with sex. Sure. Um, mm. I mean, um, if you watch um, if you watch the Aztecs or if you watch the Romans, mm. um, you know, Doctor Who's got one foot in historical drama and it's got one foot in, um, like, bawdy 19th century comedy. Sure. Um, Doctor Who's never had a problem dealing with sex mm-hmm. by means of, and I mean, by means of very well understood British comedy tropes of innuendo and suggestion. Mm. Um, and I suppose also that you, 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 very often, you know, the when the female companions are in peril, there is always that, you know, that that suggestion that things could escalate. To you know, to not just be violence, but to be sexual violence against them. Well, it, uh, um, it's, uh, it actually sort of um, even has its own name. Um, there is a substrate of BDSM um, called Didcor, uh, like um, pe- people people who just like damsels, damsels in distress. Sure, um, are a, a, a very sort of well understood subset of, of, of the larger subculture of BDSM. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I argued, I hope fairly convincingly, that um, the Ark in Space is not actually about alien grubs. What the Ark in Space is actually about um, is cancer, mental illness and rape. We're coming up on Inferno soon and we'll have some more to say about that. And we're, we're coming up on Kinder, um, which has <laughs> a multi-generational possibly paedophiliac, possibly lesbian, possibly even incestuous relationship in it. I can't bloody wait, Doc. It's been a long time since <laughs> I've seen Kinder. That sounds fucking great. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, Do- Doctor Who has always been able to deal with sex. Um, yeah. Doctor Who has never dealt successfully with romance. Mm. Um, the closest it's ever got to dealing with it successfully is the Green Death. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, that's a good point, Doc. Yeah, that, yeah, that relationship between... Uh, Joe and is it Cliff Jones or Professor Jones? Yeah, yeah the, the, it feels organic, doesn't it? It feels natural. It feels it feels it feels it, normal. Doc. Normal. It feels normal. Um, and the, the problem is, no, not the problem. What's good about the writing and difficult about the situation is watching it with adult eyes. It looks like the kind of emotionally abusive relationship that I think a lot of people get themselves into when they think they're falling in love at first sight. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, it's it's good writing and it's well acted, um, but I I don't think I like the implications of it. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about some kind of power imbalance? Professor Cliff Jones comes across like a fucking asshole, to be honest with you. Mm. It's been a long time since I watched it, Doc. So you know, we, we'll, we'll um, kind of get to it when we get to it, I guess. I mean, it's very understandable. I mean, because it's Malcolm Hulk, who does human emotions better than anyone ever gives him credit for, it's completely understandable that Joe is getting frustrated with the Doctor, who is her proxy parent. Yeah. Um, And it's completely understandable that Joe gets involved in the radical protest movement Mm -hmm. as part of her protest, decides to protest against her relationship with the Doctor by having a relationship with Cliff Jones. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But he still comes across as having the distinct potential to be an abusive asshole. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, what can I say? You're, you're, you're expecting me to compare the writing of Malcolm Holt to the writing of Chris Chibnall, really? Yeah, I know, Doc. <laughs> I know. Doc, listen, we're coming up to like an hour and a quarter now, and we we desperately want to try and get this out before midnight on, on the day of broadcast. Um, Any final thing? thing? I've got a huge constipated turd that I want to get out before midnight as well. <laughs> Any final thoughts, Doc? Come on. If I only have to deal with the stuff once every 13 weeks, mm. um, I might be able to keep a rush. Uh, like, I, I, I might be able to keep my fucking childish temper under control. Yeah. The, the problem is, though, you've been, you've been exposed to this now for something like... Eight out of the last 11 weeks or something? Um, yes. Yeah, that's the trouble um, with Doc. And it's really, really got under your skin. The biggest problem, and I, I feel like I'm repeating myself now. Um, every time I think I'm mining some positivity um, out of the Chris Chibnall experience. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's a great name for a band, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, <laughs> If you can imagine, there was this band, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, um, which was all about experimentation and forward thinking and progress um, and spiritual liberation. And then you've mm-hmm. got the Chris Chibnall Experience, which is the exact fucking opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, I get close to being able to mine some positivity out of it, and I, I want not—I desperately want not to hate it. I, know I really, do. really want not to hate it. Yeah, um, no, you do, Doc. But 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 but, it, but if it's shit, it's just shit, isn't it? And there's nothing you can do about it. It's not your fault. But, I mean, at the end of this episode, we had a warmed over concept. It's a good concept. The time, I agree with you. The time loop thing is a good concept. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of doing a tiny little story with a couple of Daleks yeah. um, trying to hunt down the Doctor and the Doctor having basically five chances to make a plan that will solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Is a perfectly good story. Yeah. And I, this is one of those occasions where I wish Chris Chibnall could do something to liberate himself from his own massive self-involvement and his own ego. Because if, if, if he'd hired a better writer, um, and here's the stupid thing. The writer who I think could have done a great episode out of this is, of all people, Terry Nation. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Terry Nation had, was was no good at coming up with original ideas. When someone gave him an original idea, he did quite well with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if someone had, you know, Terry Nation is the the guy who makes plots happen. That's why you hire him. And, I mean, 
a cruel person would say that if he wrote this story, it would be an opportunity for him to write the same story five times in a row, Doc. A cruel person, <laughs> might, a cruel person <laughs> might say that. <laughs> or um, an even crueler person might say an opportunity for him to write the same story for the 51st, 52nd, 53rd, 54th, 55th time. Um, but, yeah. but, I mean... Because, and I think you've just put your finger on it, finding a way to reuse the same story is what Terry Nation does well. Sure. Um, he's not a great characterizer, but he's an adequate characterizer. Um, I mean, obviously, the person you'd really want to hand this to is Brannon Brugger, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, God, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my, my, my go to writer on Trek. I mean, when whenever people do particularly time loop episodes like this, mm. um, they always think they're doing, um, they always think they're doing Harold Pinter, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, where um, Harold Pinter will do stuff like Act 1 and Act 2 and Act 3 are all basically the same, except for minor differences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's, it's what people do and they think they're doing great drama. I think Chibnall did this one without even realising what he was supposed to... I don't think he even realised he was supposed to be aiming for Pinter or Stoppard or something like that. Sure. Um, I just think he thought um, doing a time loop story with some soap opera characterization in it Oof. was yeah. the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose. Those soap opera interludes are just so toe curling, Doc. I, I, I just, I sink, I, I just sink down into my chair and, oh, Jesus Christ! The things that, right? I'm going to go through in in, in in short order the things that could have been saved and how they could have been saved. So yep. I've just done one of them. Um, touching greatness with the idea to do proper modern drama. Mm -hmm. Somebody could have done something with that. Um, a couple of potentially really interesting cat um the 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 hoarder guy the black guy um with some better right I, um, I really like the actor by the way i really sure. liked it i, I really yeah. liked his no, his no problem with the guy's performance not a problem with the guy's performance at all i thought he was um, a perfectly fine actor yeah i mean um i i think he i, I think that character had massive companion potential mm, sure um i mean you know like um, instead of someone basically cool, um, but with some understandable issues, mm -hmm. have a complete fucking crackpot oddball as the companion. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for the first time, have a companion as weird as Turlo. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was about to say, you know, kind of do a Turlo, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, if you if you want some cheesy traits for his character to have to get you started, um, what he really loves is the fact that he's got an infinite sto um, long-term storage. Like, uh, as soon as he's in the TARDIS, mm. um, he reconfigures his little bit of it to be an infinitely huge storage locker that he constantly, that, that he immediately starts filling up with crap. And what about this, Doc? You know, he had those, that, those you know, the, the, those bits and pieces from the different women the different women's yeah. names and he kind of i think yaz alluded to the fact that you know they're still alive aren't they 
and he kind of batted it off. But then kind of gradually over his time in the TARDIS, you kind of come to realise, actually, they're probably not. <laughs> and, and are you suggesting that you, you have a revelation that he is in fact a serial? Uh, he, yeah, he, he for is sure. In fact, um, what's the movie? A, um, it, uh, am I talking about the Bone Collector or the Butterfly Collector? Which one am I talking the about? Bone Collector, I think, Doc. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, um, and then obviously the way you do that is to make the character more and more and more likable the more you get to know him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So the revelation actually has some. Yeah. So okay, um, we just did better with the pro writers and how to do some character development in Doctor Who. <laughs> um, Doc, and- we've, got, we've got to wrap this up, my good friend. I could talk about this all night with you. I could talk to you all night, of course. But all good things must come to an end at some point. Um, and we and we, we we really really do want to get this out before sure. midnight. So, just winding up, talking about yeah. things coming to an end. Yeah. Is this the last of Chris Chibnall? Uh, no, there's two more to come. Okay. You've got Legend of the Sea Devils, which is scheduled for early 2022. Nothing more precise than that. And then My, something called. Good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then something called The Death of the Doctor, which is scheduled for late 2022. Ooh. And then ooh. he's done. I wonder if that will change everything that we thought we knew about the do- I wonder if yeah. that will happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if it'll be an ultimate battle between good and evil. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, after which nothing will ever be the same again. Well, time will tell, Doc. Only time will tell. Yeah. Um, I, could, I could I could see by I could see by your expression that you're really really looking forward to the, those two particular episodes. Um at some point this year, I'm probably going to have to have a rotting filling taken out and maybe a root canal mm. carried out underneath it. I'm looking forward to that more. Sure. <laughs> Doc, let's draw a line under Jodie yeah. Whittaker's and Chris Chibnall's era of Doctor Who for the time being. I don't think we loop back to it now, as far as the listener is concerned, for about another three months. Um, I could watch Jodie forever. Of course, I could watch. Like the directors need to rein in some of her worst excesses. That mm. I don't think I'm alone, and I, I, I don't think I'm even in a minority in spotting. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, a lot of people seem to think that Peter Davison was very badly served by the producer and the script editor he had to work with. Um, compared to poor Jodie Whittaker, I don't think he's got a damn thing to complain about. No, I, and, and, and I think lots and lots of people would agree with you, Doc. Um, so, yeah, dear listener, um, next episode that you will hear, I believe, will be um, Jodie's, funnily enough, Jodie's last, uh, second story, which is The Ghost Monument. Annex recording, Doc, will be um, Underwater Menace, I believe, um, which the, the dear listener you'll hear in a, a few weeks' time. Um <clears throat> In the meantime, any final words, Doctor, to to, to to round this episode out? And with that, we'll bring the episode to a conclusion. Doc, see you next time. See you later. There we go.